broadcasting from Mount Pleasant, Utah. This is the Sampete Horse Training Podcast. Sampete Horse Training's mission statement is simple, to send home a respectful, well-rounded, and well-broke horse that can handle a variety of situations. This is Eric Dent from Sampete Horse Training. <clears throat> Today we've got a farrier here with us, Jason Fowles. Welcome, Jason. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come and uh, spend some time with us to talk about this topic, which is to shoe or not to shoe. We get questions all the time by individuals who are wanting to have horses trained here with our company that want to know if they can have it done without the horse being shod. Um, and there are a lot of different reasons why people might think this. Um, and so this is a topic that we wanted to talk about. Um, to put a little bit of perspective on what we are thinking about, uh, when we train a horse for, say, 30 days, like per month, we're putting somewhere between about two to 400 miles um, per month on these horses. And so we think about this probably a little bit differently than the average person that has a backyard horse that is being ridden occasionally. So, uh, Jason, what do you think? What are some of the primary scenarios in which you would recommend to leave a horse barefoot? So a lot of it comes down to the horse and, and the growth rate, learning the anatomy of the horse and everything that way. Um, the foot grows anywhere from a quarter of an inch to approximately a quarter of an inch to three-eighths of an inch per month. And, and the primary reason we, we put shoes on a horse is when wear exceeds growth. So... Um, you know, putting that, that many miles on a horse in that short period of time, there's a high probability that their feet are going to wear out faster than it can regenerate. And so at that point, you're going to want to put some form of protection on the foot so that the horse can then perform the job that is being asked to do. Um, you know, you, you have your backyard horse that gets ridden once a week, maybe twice a week or something like that, not quite near as long or as, as much as, as what you guys are putting them through. Um, and so they, they could go barefoot, uh, depending on the situation and, and type of train that they're riding in and stuff that way. I really like that saying that you just said that you shoe them when wear exceeds growth. That's a pretty simple way to put this. Um, and certainly when we're riding them as much as we are, that wear is a lot greater. So what are the primary scenarios in which you would <clears throat> absolutely recommend that shoes are put on the horse? So there, there are several reasons we shoe a horse. One, as I stated earlier, that when wear exceeds growth. Two, for a therapeutic reason and traction and stuff like that. Um, I've shod several of your guys' horses that you've um, put through your program and everything like that. And, and a lot of times when I come back to either reshoe the horse right before it goes home or um, <clears throat> when uh, you know they, they pull a shoe for one reason or another or something like that, when I come back, a lot of times I have to, I cannot reset those shoes. They are worn clear down to nothing. And so uh, to go barefoot versus putting shoes on, uh, that type of a thing, like I said, the, the biggest thing is when their feet are being worn down faster than it can regenerate, and we're still asking them to to perform perform a job. You know, um, shoes are great, can be great for traction. When you have a, a cow horse or a cutting horse, a, a reining horse, um, you have, a, they've all got different aspects or different jobs that they're being asked to do. And so there's where you'll put, you know, different styles of shoe from sliders to concave to 
Calkin wedges to uh, traction devices for jumper horse, you know, that, that type of a thing. It's uh, really interesting. I, I heard a story by um, one of our veterinary clients about a year ago where this is actually a, a sheep herder and they had lost a horse out on the desert <clears throat> and it ended up with the wild Mustang herd and ran with that herd for about a year. And when they, when they were able to actually catch it again, they ended up in a situation where it had worn all the way down to basically nubs. There wasn't much left. And they thought to themselves, well, maybe since it's been running with the Mustangs and got um, a little bit of, um, you know, toughening of the feet, then maybe they could take it back and not have to shoe it when they put it back onto their sheep herd. And they said that within just a few weeks, it was right back to being sore because it wasn't in that same scenario where it was, you know, out on the desert doing what the wild horses were doing and that kind of a thing. And so they had to go back to shoeing this horse. And that was really quite interesting to me that the horse was able to go for an entire year without shoes in that environment. But then as soon as they changed that environment, they had to go right back to shoeing it again. So um, you have any thoughts about that or, or any uh, instances or stories that you can tell us about horses that maybe have had to have shoes and then were able to go barefoot or vice versa where they were barefoot and then had to go back to being shod? Absolutely. You're, you're absolutely right with the, with the Mustang. I mean, those animals are incredible in the sense that they know how much to move to keep their feet under control. They're not, horses aren't, uh, Mustangs, I should say, are not standing in one static position or one 12 by 12 stall its entire life. And so they're moving from, from water to feed to shelter, running away from a predator, um, that type of a thing. And, you know, uh, and so they, they can go barefoot, and then, unfortunately, the ones that, that become up lame or something like that, they fall behind, and then natural selection takes its place. Um, so in, in this case of your, your sheep herding uh, horse example that you just mentioned, um, I, can, I can see that, you know, he was probably moving along with them. Um, I'm assuming the shoes, they had to have fallen off in that year's time frame. And he, but he moved according to his needs. And, and everything that way and across the different terrain and stuff like that. Um, an example of to shoe versus not shoe, there's a lady that I, uh, this has been back in 2013, she picked up a horse from California, rescued him off of the track, he's a six-year-old thoroughbred. Um, when he showed up to, to the location or to the place here in, in St. Pete County, uh, she called me up and asked me to, to come and look at him and see what was going on. And, and uh, he, he had some very, a very unique package on his feet. You know, one foot was, was wedged, the other was not, um, and some other, other things going on with his feet. So we tried to get in touch with the, the former farrier to see what was going on so we weren't trying to reinvent the wheel. You know, to have something on there like that, there was a reason. And uh, anyway, we never could get in touch with him, so we, we kind of started from ground zero. So we pulled the package off, um, uh, trimmed him up, balanced his feet and everything like that, and put him in shoes, uh, just regular, regular steel shoes. Um, anyway, he went a couple shoeing cycles, so it would have been anywhere from 12 to 12 to 16 weeks, you know, and then all of a sudden he, uh, he abscessed. Um, he abscessed in both front feet. Um, he was very, very sore. Uh, you know, we'd left plenty of foot and this, that, and the other. And eventually we had to have the vet come out and sedate him enough so that I could pull the shoes off. We pulled the shoes off, we trimmed him up, 
and her writing, um, she she didn't write a whole lot. She only wrote once in a great while, you know, maybe two, three times a month. And so to have shoes on in that situation for her, and she typically rode just there in the, in the pasture that he was being boarded at. And so there were really no nece- necessity to have shoes on him because he was, you know, wasn't getting ridden a lot, foot wasn't wearing down fast enough, and he wasn't in a lot of rocks and stuff like that that he needed protection. So in pulling them shoes, we trimmed him up and stuff that way, got him taken care of, and he started getting better. Um, we started to see progress and stuff like that. So she's like, oh, okay, he's good to go. Let's put some shoes back on. The second we did that, he started abscessing again, and he started having some other problems. So that horse particularly, we left him barefoot. And to this day, he's barefoot. Um, I, I went to school in, in Kentucky shortly thereafter at the Kentucky Horseshoeing School, and uh, uh, there was a uh, veterinarian that was invited to come into the school and talk, and she rescued these uh, thoroughbreds off the racetrack once their career was finished and everything. And she brought up something at that time that was very, very similar to what I was going through. She said she saw it more times than not. A lot of them horses she pulled off the track, they would pull the shoes, they'd trim them up, you know, the same scenario that, that I ran this, this horse through, and they would go through a period of abscessing until, and she was still in the, at that time, this was back in uh, 2015, at that time she was still in the process of trying to figure out why this was happening. Um, so she didn't have a definitive answer, but a lot of them she ended up leaving barefoot and they were good to go, some of them. She, they were once they got through that abscessing period, and everything that way, they uh, would do better, and they'd put shoes on. And they'd never have an issue issue after that. So, um, anyway, there are other scenarios where uh, there's some horses that I've done that if they don't have shoes on, uh, I did one just yesterday. Uh, he's a 20 year old gelding. Um, He's in a situation where if he does not have shoes on, he can't walk, especially with the ground freezing like it is. Uh, we've tried several different methods and, and ideas to try and get him to go to go barefoot through the winter months so we won't have to worry about snowballing up in the shoes and some other things that way. But uh, he's one that you leave him barefoot anytime on the front end and he, he goes lame. And so, um, so yeah, there's, there's definitely horses that can go barefoot and can't have shoes, there's definitely horses that need shoes. Um, you know, each one's kind of a, a case, case dependent thing. I think it's so true that it is a case by case basis. You can't really, and that's what's difficult in answering all these questions is that it is so difficult to really put a um, specific thing onto a specific horse in a specific situation there. It's, it's hard to generalize and get an accurate answer to that. We've noticed with a lot of the horses that we're riding in our horse training program that, um, for example, if we sh- if we throw a shoe, if one of the trainers is riding and they throw a shoe and they don't notice it, one of the first things that happens is they get stone bruised, and it happens fairly quickly. We've had this happen within 10 minutes of throwing the shoe, and that's, uh, you know, sometimes just because we're loping down the dirt roads and they hit a piece of gravel or a little rock or that kind of a thing, and so... We, we just basically have to shoe in this situation because we would set ourselves up for this problem. So, um, And then from a veterinary perspective, it's really kind of interesting to me how much variation there is from horse to horse. Um, and so why don't you talk about this for a second, Jason? What, what, uh, what kind of variation do you see in how tough the feet are from horse to horse? 
Oh, that's so you you hear the old adage from the old timers and that 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 dark black feet are better than white feet and and stuff that way and and you know in in my perspective I've I've seen really really bad black feet I've seen really really bad white feet I've seen really really hard good solid white feet and black feet so or dark feet and stuff that way so to say one versus another and I've tried to pay a little bit closer attention to that I think a lot of it comes down to the composition of the foot is genetics in part you know if you've got a uh, a horse that's naturally thin-walled or something like that, um, chances are they would pass it on to their offspring. Um, but I, a lot of it does also come down to uh, nutrition, I believe. Um, you know, if you've got a horse that is um, overfed or, or things like that, or, you know, the, you know, that brings up other problems, you know, between laminitis and stuff that way. But but generally, if, if they're they're on a feeding schedule and they're on a maintenance schedule and stuff that way, generally, um, you know, I haven't seen a, a, a good or a bad as far as white versus black feet or dark feet or anything that way. So, um, you know, I think a lot of it comes down to nutrition. Uh, some of it comes down to the terrain that they're living in. Obviously, if you've got a horse that's living in real rocky, rocky terrain, you know, their feet are going to to chip up and, and kind of, if they're barefoot, you know, kind of maintain themselves and stuff that way. And, and just like you and I, you know, working in a, uh, handling rocks versus handling, uh, softer, softer things, your hands will get calloused and, and stuff that way. So. It's really interesting how confirmation can play into this as well. <clears throat> We've had, uh, I, I actually have, Two of my own horses right now that are kind of a good example of this. I have a, a Mustang uh, mare that if I don't trim her, she will grow 14-inch long hooves. <laughs> they just never break off. And then I've got a quarter horse mare that is <clears throat> about 1,200 pounds and got double lot feet, and she just really struggles without shoes on. She gets pretty pretty sore pretty quick. And there's a, an obvious conformational difference between those two horses. And so. Quite a bit of variation, and yet nutrition and, and balance and trimming and, you know, consistency and all that kind of stuff can influence it so much. So we get questions all the time from our customers, both on the veterinary side as well as the training. What about just shoeing the front feet? What do you think about that? That seems to be a fairly common thing that is done. And So maybe explain why we would do this and what you think about that idea. Absolutely. There's, there's a lot of folks that I shoe for um, that we do just do half sets on you know on the front feet um so let's kind of back up just a little bit on, on and talk about the anatomy of the horse and so uh, a horse on their front feet they're more broad and round and, and everything that way and it's um that's designed for weight bearing your hind feet are more spade shaped kind of more triangle shaped and they're more designed for propulsion and stopping the horse like it's like a shovel you know you're not going to dig a hole with a square nose shovel because you're not going to get anywhere um, but it'd be great to, to hold hold weight and stuff that way. So uh, a horse uh, has, they're, they're trying to support, it's a 60-40 relationship essentially for their weight. So approximately 60% of their weight's on the front half of the horse and 20, or excuse me, 40% is on the hind. And so just like a vehicle, you've got more brake power, uh, your calipers on the front of your truck are designed to withstand and hold more weight because you've got the engine out front you've got all that more weight and everything that way versus the rear 
And so a horse, you've got a lot more weight out the front because you've got the neck, the head, and everything that way. And so you do want a, a nice big platform on the front of those horses. And so typically when you run into a lameness issue, more times than not, it's uh, in the front end, you know, just because of the, because of the weight, the weight factor. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of, like I said, a lot of folks that I shoe for, uh, especially in the cutting world, um, that they just run, they just run front shoes on the, on the front of their horses. Uh, a lot of that is because they're in, in, you know, arena type footing, you know, whether it's sand or synthetic footing or anything like that. And so they just need kind of that protection to, to move forward, back and forth. Uh, also partially for traction. Um, I also have some other folks that uh, ride in the mountains and, and stuff that way and, and ride, uh, I just ride with half sets. So a lot of it is dependent upon what the job, the job of the horse is. You know, are they, um, you know, some folks, uh, well, that, back to that horse that I shod yesterday, you know, he's in a half set. We've got him in, in front shoes with uh, snow pads on the front to help keep things cleaned out and he's barefoot on the back and he does just fine. Um, you know, the back feet tend to, they tend to self-maintain a little easier than the front. And I think that's in part to, you know, a lot of times when they're turning or pivoting, you know, them back feet are twisting, turning and abrading a little bit more and, and stuff that way. And so that you don't see them chip near as much, um, and that. So, uh, now once again, if you decided to go climb, Mount Nebo up through the, the cliffs and the rocks and stuff that way, you know, after a while you are gonna, they are gonna chip up and break. Um, another example, I, there's a gentleman, you know, a lot of folks talk about mule feet. You know, mules are great. You know, some guys, oh, we don't have to shoe them. You know, they're good to go. Um, this last July, there's um, a gentleman came from, I believe it was Washington uh, for a clinic somewhere here in the valley. And he got my number from somebody. Um, anyway, they'd went riding the night before. He had two pack mules. That one was, I think he said 14, the other one was like 18, somewhere around there, decent size mollies. And they have been barefoot their entire, their entire life. He takes them and they head up um, Mount Nebo. In some, and I, I don't know the trails, I don't know any of that area that he went. They got oh, about two miles into their ride and had to turn around and come back because both mules got sore. And this was the beginning of, of the, a week-long clinic from what I understood. So they called me up, went out, checked them out. They were definitely sore. And we were able to get some shoes on them um, to uh, accommodate that week that they were there. So, um, you know, back to the whole adage again there that, you know, what's the horse's job, you know? Are they going to be used day in and day out? Um, there are some folks, like I said, that I will recommend half sets, and others that I'll recommend to go barefoot. Um, others, depending on how serious and, and what they, serious type of riding and what they're trying to accomplish, I would also recommend, you know, uh, shoes on the rear as well. So this is where I really think it's important to point out that it is super important that you have a good relationship with your farrier because... You know, in these situations, <clears throat> they know your horse's foot better than anyone. And I know as a veterinarian, I, I really rely on their opinion um, when we're having any sort of issues because they know the horse, they know the history of the horse, they know what the horse has needed in the past. And there's really not a one-size-fits-all sort of a solution. 
it needs to be customized and your farrier is really in the best position to make that happen. Um, and so it's a really good idea to have that relationship. Um, so what do you think is the biggest problem that you see, Jason, when you leave a horse barefoot and then you, you keep riding? So maybe not super hard riding, but wh what are some of the problems that you notice that maybe pop up when, when you're dealing with a horse that's barefoot and the people are actually using it? Um, there's back to the, when wear exceeds growth. I think that's a lot of it. Um, when the horse is getting used more or longer than, or more so than the foot can regenerate, that's where you start running into uh, issues that way. Um, I mean, cause you, if you think about, if you put it in relation to our anatomy, the horse is, the horse is foot and everything, they, their structure and all that stuff, they basically standing on their middle fingers. And so that first joint that on our middle finger is the coffin bone. And then you have the short pastern, long pastern, cannon bone. Our wrist is in conjunction with their knee in the radius and then up in the shoulder. Um, and so they are suspended off the ground. They're, they don't walk on their skeletal system. And so essentially you have this, this round coffin bone, um, or round shaped coffin bone essentially, that is now has anywhere from 10 millimeters of depth of foot, you know, between it and the coffin bone or the ground and the coffin bone. Um, and so when we wear that down or we take it or, or anything like that, we need to put some form of protection on there to then be fair to the horse to allow him to walk. So as far as a, a horse going barefoot or needing shoes, you know, back to what you'd said earlier, you know, I, I think it is case dependent on, on each horse. I have a I have a mare uh, that her hoof cap, so she's got a lot of arthritis in her knees and stuff that way. And so to make to break over, she will rotate her foot a little bit and break over to the side. And as time goes on, right now, so I just pulled her shoes off three weeks ago. Right now, her hoof capsule's in in pretty good shape. It's it's fairly symmetrical. It's balanced and everything that way. But now as time goes on, between now and next spring, when we go to put a, a front set on her, she's my daughter's mare, and so we just keep her shod in the front, um, her hoof capsule will have distorted to the pressures that are put upon it. And so um, we will, you know, she will have, most likely she'll have a crushed heel um, and stuff that way. And so you do see that in, in uh, some, some horses that do go barefoot and are continually ridden. If there's a, like, like what you said, a conformational issue, or, or things like that, those take into play on how, how the hoof capsule will grow. We had a case here about a year and a half ago that came into our horse training program, and it was a, it was a Mustang from the BLM um, that somebody had already picked up and was just barely halter broke. And um, it was a learning experience for us because the, the customer was absolutely adamant that this horse is not shod. Um, and we'll talk in a second a little bit more about this, but um, we had the horse for 45 days, which is not much time for a Mustang. We probably rode it. We, we were on its back within about uh, probably 15 to 16 days, um, and then we rode it for the next 30-ish days. Um, and so it really only had probably about three weeks of riding 
or maybe two and a half weeks of riding outside of the arena. And um, we, I, I just, I don't know how this horse didn't end up totally lame, but I'll tell you what, it came in with some hoof and it left with almost none. <laughs> and there was an awful lot of wear that, that occurred during that time. And, and there was some sensitivity um, on gravel, on asphalt. Um, you know, luckily it didn't wear so bad to where it caused a lot of problems, but we kind of learned our lesson in that case that with too much riding, even in the Mustangs, there was kind of that issue of it really wearing down very quickly. And so that's something uh, that was kind of an interesting experience. So um, I remember hearing this next question all the way back when I was a little kid. And I've heard it all throughout vet school as a veterinarian from clients in the horse training world. Um, back when I was doing a little bit of farrier work, I heard it a lot. And it's a little bit of, you know, a, an old wise tale or maybe a little bit of a myth out there. And it says, well, I've heard that once a horse is shod once, it'll always have to be shod. So I don't want to put shoes on it. So what do you think about that, Jason? Well, I'd just like to bring up the the last or the uh, thoroughbred scenario. You know, this back in 13, 2013, he was six years old. And now we're, we're six years later, so he'd be about 12, 13 years of age. So for let's, uh, the last five to six years, he's not had shoes on. But his the first four to six years of his age, he had shoes on to rate, run on the track. And so... You know he's doing just fine that way. Um, I I honestly don't believe that 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 is true. That once you put a set of shoes on, that they have to have them on all the time. Um, I think a lot of it is just the horse um, getting used to being barefoot. I think I do believe there is a little bit of a transition period that they do go through once they once you do pull shoes off. But there again, like I said, you know when a lot of it comes down to when when wear exceeds growth um, as a farrier when especially right now specifically as i'm pulling shoes off horses that have had them on through the summer months and through spring and a lot of riding and stuff that way yes they're used to having shoes on but if i leave them when i when i pull those shoes off i want to leave them something to walk on because if you think about it as as the days are warming up through through the middle of the day <coughs> excuse me the ground softens up gets muddy it's soft and pliable they step in it and and in the manure and the mud and whatever that way, but they leave a hoof print. Now, come nighttime, it freezes over, and now you have all these ridges and valleys in their pen, let's say, that now go from being nice and pliable to solid as a rock, ice, essentially. And so we want to leave them something to walk on. And so back to, we were talking a little bit earlier about depth of foot, you know, between 10 and, and 12 millimeters of foot would, would be nice to have, um, if not more. And that, that depth of foot's basically the, where, around the frog and underneath the cough, between the cough mold and the ground, essentially. And so as a farrier, we need to keep that in mind. And that's why I always ask somebody, okay, what's this guy's job? What's he doing? Is he, um, you know, is he going to be just in the pasture? Is he going to be um, ridden a lot? Are you going to ride a lot during the winter? Are you not? And so, um, but we definitely need to leave uh, plenty of foot for them to walk on, um, and then just like just like a little child, I've got a I've got a two year old boy at home that he can't keep shoes on him to save our lives, and he can run out across the gravel road all day long and he's just fine. But if I take my shoes off and go and go even think about walking across the road, it hurts and I cry and and everything that way. And so, you know, um, I I don't believe that 
that putting shoes on once or to get them through a situation or anything like that. Um, once they have shoes, they always have to shoes. I, I don't, I don't believe that. Um, you know, I try to back to shoeing a horse and that, you know, my f philosophy is, and a lot of guys that I, that I talk to and go uh, work with and ride with and stuff like that. The philosophy is, is, you know, take away what's detrimental, leave him something to walk on that way in the event that he pulls a shoe on a cattle drive or, uh, hooks it in the fence or whatever the case may be for some whatever reason he that shoe comes off he can still perform his job and and be stay sound until I can get there again to get that shoe put back on have you noticed any difference between the sexes so do you notice that mares have better or worse feet than gildings or gildings versus stallions no no I think it, it goes back to like what we were talking about earlier um, a lot of a lot of their environment, um, you know, uh, environment, their their feed and that type of thing. But I, I personally haven't seen to say, you know, uh, this stallion versus this gelding or or mare versus gelding or stallion that there's been any any difference in the feet or anything that way. That really is a pretty easy answer because there just isn't much of a difference. There are certainly some disease processes that are sex dependent. For example, in the vicular disease, uh, there have been a few studies that have shown that gildings are overrepresented in that group, but that's an actual genetic um, abnormality, not something that is totally, you know, related just to their feet. So, but, um, you know, hoof, hoof growth and, and uh, integrity and, and all that kind of stuff, there's really not much of a difference there. Um, what about Mustangs? You hear this all the time, that, and I gave an example earlier, that they don't even have to be shod. Um, you, you were uh, you had the opportunity to work doing the uh, one of the BLM contracts trimming the Mustangs' feet a little while back, so you've had some experience with this. Um, and we've trained a few of these horses over the years. We've actually got a couple of them right now that we're working with. So, what are your thoughts about? Are there any differences between Mustang feet and a domestic horse? And if so, uh, is it much of a difference? And um, then kind of maybe talk about that question of. Oh, I've heard that they don't even have to be shod. That's what we hear all the time. So, is that true? Right, right. So, so if you think about it, the Mustang. Back to what I was saying earlier, the Mustang. When they're in their natural environment in the wild, they are constantly moving. They're constantly going. They're they're main, self-maintaining their feet essentially on the abrasive surfaces that they're walking on from shelter to food to away from predators and so on and so forth. But when we domesticate a horse. I don't know about you, but I don't like rocks in my pasture. I don't like rocks. A lot of the farmers don't like rocks in their hay fields and stuff like that because it chews the swather up. It causes problems and stuff that way. And so we, we take away the rocks we and, and that type of a thing. And so, and then generally, we're not letting our horses run in 10, 12-acre pastures or, or anything that way. We're generally putting them in a, a stall or or we maybe we only have a half acre for our property. And so it's, you know, our pens are a lot smaller. So they don't have the ability to to wear wear their feet off. Um, I was at a location this week, and there was a young man that was happened to be walking by, and he stopped and was watching me watching me trim a horse. Uh, and, the, and the owner was there as well, and the owner knew the young man. And the young man started asking questions. Well, what about this? What about that? And, and uh, we we got talking about this subject of the reason I trim the feet or we take care of the feet is they they grow. 
and, and when they can't wear down, then they grow, and once you get past a certain point of growth, now it becomes negative growth, and you can start, it can start messing with tendons and ligaments and, and things like that. The hoof capsule can, can chip enough that it gets into the sensitive structure, just like you break, you know, catching your fingernail and breaking it back enough to where it hurts, you know, and that type of a thing. And, and he, he, it was kind of, kind of funny, cool, but he says, looks at me and goes, well, just put a big rock right there in the corner of his pen and he'll just walk over there and scratch his foot. Well, not quite. <laughs> That's not quite how they do it. But, but yes, I, I you know, um, so when we domesticated an, an animal or, or specifically the horse, now we, we've taken their ability to, to self-maintain their feet and, and everything that way. And so now it becomes our responsibility to, to take care of that growth and take care of them feet. Um, uh, when I was working down there uh, with the, the Mustangs and stuff, I paid very close attention to that. You know, they'd bring a herd in or a group in off the desert and um, I'd look at those feet and everything like that, and they were great. I mean, there was different wear patterns depending on conformation and stuff like that. You know, you did see some sheared heels. You did see some flaring and some stuff like that, but it, it was pretty neat to see. But then as time went on, the longer they were in the facility, you know, so I'd trim them and then, and then the second time, by the second time I would see them, then their feet had changed. And it was almost, it was just like, just like a domestic horse that we have, you know, and everything that way. They, they had their pathology differences. They had their, you know, according to their confirmation, you're going to flare here, you're going to flare there. But because when they were in the wild, they were able to run and go and do all the time. And there were, you know, the different sands and the rocks and the abrasion, the abrading, excuse me, materials, they were able to kind of help self-maintain. But now that they're in a, a pen, yeah, there's some rocks and there's this and that, but they're not moving the same amount that they were before. And so it typically would, uh, you know, they had the flares. It was just more accentuated in, in that. So... Um, you know, and, and I think you really just hit it on the head. You know, these horses are moving anywhere from probably 5 to 25 miles a day. Um, and you think about that in relation to the average domesticated horse, and that's a very significant amount of movement. And so that, uh, that wear and, and, and really just developing kind of that calloused sort of, you know, hard feet and that kind of stuff, it really makes a really big difference. Um, we personally have found through Stampede Horse Training that with the riding that we are doing, we have to shoe them. Um, we, we have not had one yet. Well, let me, let me take that back. We've had a couple that we didn't shoe, but the primary riding that we were doing with those horses was on a real deep snow year in the wintertime. And so they weren't getting quite the abrasion on the dirt roads or in the foothills that the average horse would have been. And so we were able to not do it on them. But um, anything that we have trained not in the middle of the winter with a big snow year, we've had to shoe them. It just, it just is absolutely necessary. Absolutely. And like I was saying earlier, um, you know, not very often do you guys pull shoes, but a lot of those horses that I come and shoe, you know, I'm usually, I usually put on a handmade shoe, which is approximately three eighths of an, three eighths of an inch thick by three quarters of an inch wide um, for the web of the shoe to accommodate that. And when you guys end up pulling a shoe, occasionally it's happened where they've, you know, kicked the stall mat or the, the stall door or, or, you know, they've hooked a fence or something like that. But nine times out of, a ten, out of ten when Paula calls me to come, to come put a shoe back on, all six nails are still in their foot, which means the nail heads have worn clear off. 
And so if there's that much riding happening and it's wearing the steel down, because steel's obviously more dense and, and a lot harder than the hoof capsule actually is. If there's that much riding going on and it's wearing the steel that much, imagine what it would what it's going to do to the foot if there was no protection. There, it, that horse would be would, would essentially be walking on nubs, and and it would be very very sore. And then you wouldn't be able to continue the training, and you know, there would have to be some form of a rest period for that horse to um, for its hoof capsule to regenerate. You know, and it takes anywhere from nine months to a year for that hoof capsule to generate, and it generates from the coronary band down. So. Yeah, it's kind of crazy how quick you can wear them off and how long it takes to grow it back. <laughs> so, you know, and that's one of the things we take pride in here at Sampy Horse Training is, is we put a lot of miles on these horses, and I think we do that better than just about anybody else out there. We've got our strengths and we've got our weaknesses. That's definitely one of our strengths. So, um, so Jason, why don't you talk for just a second about um, when people are looking for a farrier and they're, they're looking for that quality job, um, if you could really, you know, it's not this simple, but if you could pick out maybe one or two things that, about a shoeing job that are just absolutely critical for the health of the horse's foot, what would, what would you say that those would be? Mm, goodness, that's a, that's a loaded question. <laughs> um, I, I think a lot of it comes down to balance. Uh, there's a gentleman by the name of Grant Moon, and if you ever, he is, he's incredible. Um, he hand makes all of his shoes and, and all that stuff, and, and a good farrier doesn't, doesn't have to hand make all of his shoes, but one of the comments he made at a clinic was, when it comes to shoeing a horse, it's 98% in the trim. And so, because a lot of, a lot of times you'll see, you know, um, I have guys, oh, it can't be that hard, it can't be that hard. He says, I'll just go buy a, buy a shoe from the store and then just tack it on, you know, and, and, and you can kind of see those. You know, we were talking a little bit earlier about shapes, you know, shapes of the feet. We were talking about, you know, that thing. But I think a lot of it comes down to balance. Balance is a, is a huge thing. What, looking at the horse's conformation. So as a horse walks up to me, you know, as the owner's bringing it to me or I'm, I go to the stall and pull it out or, or I go to the field and catch it, you know, um, a lot of times I'll show up and the owner hasn't caught the horse, which is fine, and they'll be out in the pasture. The horse knows I'm there, and they're going to run. And I use that time to watch the horse run and move, and that tells me, okay, yep, he's moving great. I need to stay out of his way. So I'm going to balance that foot accordingly. We're medial lateral, inside, outside, or dorsal palmer, dorsal palmer, front to rear, you know, and, and balance that foot accordingly so that um, he can continue to move and continue to do his job, even if that is just to, to be in the pasture. And so I think a lot of it comes down to balance. A lot of it comes down to, you know, um, I know some of these, some of these guys that, that like to ride with me and stuff like that, they're just want, trying to decide, do I want to do this, do I, do I not? And I, and I had the gentleman that I apprenticed under told me the exact same thing. He says, we don't get paid by what we leave on the ground. You know, and, and sometimes all it takes is just enough to, to get rid of this flare on the outside or to, to roll this edge here or, you know, whatever the case may be. You know, if we have the mindset of got to take, got to take, got to take, we're going to cripple the horse. We're going to make the horse unsound and, and he's not going to be able to perform his job. And so, but 
um, there, there can be a lot of things. Um, there's a lot of horses that I've done. Uh, one in particular is a rope horse uh, up, in, up in Heber City. Um, the gentleman had been watching her for years. He'd been wanting to buy her. Uh, finally, the opportunity came available. He purchased her. And this guy couldn't rope a steer to save his life on that horse. The two of them just did not mesh. And he's like, hey, what's going on? I'm having a hard time. He says, my other horse, I can go and, you know, uh, I can rope this steer. I can do what I need to, whatever that way. But this mare, for some reason, I know she can do it. Well, so he sent me a video. This mare would take off running. On the first horse, she'd blow out of the gate. He'd throw the rope, catch the steer, dally off. The job was done, whatever the case may be that way. But as she was going to stop, her front feet would hit the ground so hard, her knees would buckle, and she'd pop back up and come back down and land. Well, after buckling like that, it's painful. Um, and so now the subsequent time, the subsequent, subsequent steers after that first one, she'd hesitate, which in that hesitation, now that throws, throws his timing off, and you can imagine what goes on from there. So went up there, we looked at her, and she was out of balance. You know, uh, her heels on her one on her left front was long. Her heels on her right front were crushed. So she was essentially a, a stiletto on one and a, and a flip-flop on the other. And and it was thrown out of whack. And so we, we balanced her up. It took, unfortunately, I couldn't fix her that night. You know, it didn't, didn't happen overnight to get the way she was. But we were able to correct her fairly quickly. And now he's he's having a blast on her. You know, it took me probably three or four shoeings to kind of get her feet balanced up. But she gained her confidence back and everything that way. Um, so I know that's kind of a long way around to, to answering your question. But but I, I do, I believe a lot of it is balance, you know, medial lateral balance, dorsal front, you know, inside outside, front to rear. Um, watching that horse move, you know, staying out of the horse's way. Uh, you know, a lot of times horses are, you know, once they reach that age of two, once their joints and everything are all fused and everything that way, how that leg is twisted is how it's going to be twisted. And if we go to try and torque it and turn it and straighten it back out, we're going to cause more issues, and he's not going to be comfortable and be able to move. So we you know, balance the foot and then add the mechanics of the shoe later to accommodate the situation that's going on. Um, you look at some of these uh, some of these racehorses and stuff. When I, Like I said, I went to Kentucky to school, and so they brought up a lot of them, and I believe it was Seabiscuit, they said. Uh, don't quote me on that. Um, but he was one of the most crooked running guys, horses they've ever seen. But look at the how he performed. And the farrier just stayed out of his way, shod him according to how he moved so that he could stay sound and, and, and uh, perform his job. And so I think that's a lot of it too is, is um, accommodating. And, and as horses get older, just like you and I, we get sore, we get tired, we, our gait changes. And in a horse situation, now that hoof capsule will start to change. And so back to the example of my mare, I noticed her feet starting to change a little bit about a year and a half ago. And it's like, what's going on? So we went and got x-rays and stuff. She was starting to develop quite a bit of arthritis in her front knees. So we built a shoe to accommodate that situation. Now her hoof capsule is staying good. It's encompassing the, the cough bone properly. That foot is able to expand and contract and, and function the way it's supposed to, but we balanced the foot um, and then added the mechanics later. We, we fit the foot versus putting the shoe on and fitting the shoe, the foot to the shoe.
I've found from the veterinary perspective that balance is really what fixes a lot of the pathology that we see as well. You know, I think about horses with laminitis, we think about navicular cases, we think about fetal osteitis, you know, and the list goes on and on and on. And, and really the primary fix for a lot of those issues comes down to balance. So I really like that answer. I think it's something that is just so important. And really, you know, I, I, I don't have the experience that Jason does as far as, you know, the education from a horseshoeing standpoint and all that, but I have put shoes on about four to 5,000 horses. And so I have at least some experience with it. And, and um, it's really been interesting to me as I've learned how to shoe horses, that that is the most difficult part of learning to shoe horses. The trim is the hardest part. Anybody can nail a, a, a shoe on a, on a horse, but getting that trim and getting that balance correctly, it takes a lot of horses and a lot of years to get to where you're good at that. So do you have any other parting words, Jason, before we quit here on, on the idea of to shoe or not to shoe? I'd, I'd just say listen to your horse. I mean, your horse is going to tell you uh, what what he needs, what he wants, what he, he or she, I should say, you know. Um, like I said, I've, I've got three of my own, and one, I can run barefoot. But then again, I'm not riding her all the time. Uh, the other one, my other mare, I shoe her for a therapeutic reason because otherwise her feet start to get wonky. Um, and she, she moves a lot more comfortably with, with those shoes. And so, you know, that's, that's always a debate with folks and stuff like that is, Oh, you know, shoeing a horse is bad, or oh, you know, going barefoot's bad. Well, what's the horse's job? You know, it, like I said, it's not fair for me to ask you to take your shoes off and go run across that, go go run two miles down the gravel road. You know, um, you know, what what's the job? Um, you know, what's the best for the horse? If it's just going to be a, a pasture buddy or a pasture pet and stuff like that, and they're not going to be ridden. And, and it allows them to, and they're, they're sound and they're good and they're comfortable. By all means, there's no reason to put shoes on a horse, on that horse specifically. But if it's one that his primary job, back to the, you know, herding sheep, for example, he is on the mountain where those sheep go is some pretty gnarly stuff sometimes, you know, and, and that sheep herder relies on that horse to, to protect the herd, watch the herd, move the herd, whatever the case might be. It's, it's his job. And so in that case, he's going to get ridden a lot. Um, you know, you hear of guys all the time, yep, I'm sending my gelding or my horse. It's, you know, a three-year-old. I'm sending him on the, on the mountain for the summer with, with the sheep herder because they know he's going to get used. And so to shoe versus not to shoe, like I said, what's, what's the horse's job? Um, is he going to be ridden more than his hoof capsule can regenerate? And, you know, not all horses need shoes. Not all horses can go without shoes. It's all, you know, like we were saying earlier, it's all, all case dependent. So, you know, the hor your horse will tell you, yeah, I'm coming up sore or, you know, that type of a thing. So, We really appreciate you taking the time to come and do this podcast with us. Just as a reminder to our listeners, um, you can visit our website at sampehorse.com. If you have any interest in having a horse trained by us, taking lessons from us or purchasing a Mustang and having that trained by us. We have that buy a Mustang program. All that information is on our website. Um, some people do ask us the question, do we have to have the horse shod to be trained by Sampete Horse Training? And the answer is yes. And we do require that simply because as our motto says, we're gonna put miles, miles, and more miles. And that is not fair to the horse 
um, to to do that without them shod. So, but that does not mean that you would have to keep them shod forever. Um, so feel free to to get a hold of us if you have any questions. Thanks a bunch, Jason, for spending some time with us today and for your thoughts about this topic. I sure appreciate you having me. Thank you. <laughs>